Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And today we're going to be putting Oscar on the couch, yes. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, watched the Oscars this week. And uh, it's, even though uh, it's over, the telecast is over, there is still so much to be said, and particularly so much to be said about what it reflects about us and about Hollywood. And I have on the show today Mr. Hollywood to uh, help us, help take us backstage. You know, of course, when the uh, people win, they go backstage and you wonder what goes on back there. Well, <laughs> my guest today is going to be taking us at least metaphorically backstage. His name is Michael Selzman. He's been on the show before a while ago because of his autobiography, All is Vanity. But I was reading his bio today, and um, <laughs> it's really, it goes, I mean, I could spend the whole show reading the bio, which <laughs> well, that's really all is vanity, right? <laughs> But um, this man has been everything in Hollywood, from a screenplay writer to a talent agent to a literary agent to uh, the uh, on all the staff at 20th Century Fox, Paramount Pictures. I mean, you name it. In Hollywood, he's been it. He's also been the um, public relations representative of personally of very a lot of famous people, from Marilyn Monroe to Judy Garland, Peter Sellers. Marlena Dietrich, uh, all the Fondas, James Stewart, Rock Hudson, and so many others. I mean, <laughs> it's, I, it's, it's hard to believe, Michael, that, that this is all one life. I mean, surely there must be a mistake in here um, somewhere. <laughs> Somehow other pages must have gotten connected to your bio. It's really, it's just so amazing that you have been all over and that you're still standing and being all over. So welcome <laughs> well, to the show. Thank you so much, Carol. Nice to talk to you again. I mean, you know, uh, when we did the, when we talked about the book, All is Vanity, I mean, I yes. guess there was a, a an abridged um, bio in the book. And oh, I, I, yes, I mean, yes, and of course it's an autobiography, but somehow it, it just didn't, uh, when you put it all together in, in a compact form, it just is incredibly impressive. So I'm happy that you're here. We're going to be talking, putting Oscar on the couch, even though the red carpet's rolled back up, the media hype has died down, the uh, food from the after parties has been eaten, and the co-hosts 
<laughs> that's the only thing that probably hasn't uh, hasn't left, other than of course the winners being very happy. But um, I think that the co-hosts are probably still hiding in some cave somewhere <laughs> as a result of this, or they should be. <laughs> what did you think of that? Well, uh, in, just to flash back for a moment, in terms of the uh, my autobiography, all this vanity, you should see what I left out. I'm <laughs> sure, obviously, yes. <laughs> in terms of the Oscars, uh, it's the first time in 83 years that I didn't watch it completely through. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't deal with it. <laughs> well, no. Actually, what happened is I went to uh, get a refill of my. Uh, glass of red wine and uh, just started checking my email and I never got back to the show. Uh, that's <laughs> terrible. I mean, it's it's understandable, but what, what part did you uh, leave off? Well, somewhere around midway. I just found it so painful to watch. Yes, it was. It really I think, was. I, I mean, they shot themselves in the foot when they put on the segment about Bob Hope and introduced by um, Billy Crystal. I read in some review, and it occurred to me that maybe Billy Crystal had been pushed on the stage to take mm-hmm. over, and they were going to retire those two non-entities. Yes, I think we were all hoping that. <laughs> I mean, you know, this concept. You know, one of the things that it says about Hollywood, and I guess you know, even in a larger, what makes a larger statement, this whole idea of um, trying to appeal to the younger demographic, which was, and, they, and yes, Anne made a. Um, made a joke about that at the beginning. She was, of course, a lot better than James Franco. I mean, she was trying, she was like treading water. She was trying to, trying to make up for his sort of being dead. Um, but, but she couldn't on her own. And this whole idea that somebody has, you know, oh, well, let's appeal to a, to a younger demographic and we'll get these two people just because of their age, not really because of their talent. They're actors, not hosts. Well, they're actors, but they're not movie stars. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, movie stars to me are uh, Kirk Douglas, although I wonder why he wants to be remembered that way as a, a lascivious, limping old man who can barely speak. Um, as you mentioned, I represented um, um, Marlena Dietrich, and um, she voluntarily retired from the screen at age 60. She just didn't want to be photographed anymore. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and so... I, I think that people should, who are in the public eye, retire earlier if they want to be remembered. I mean, one of the things about Marilyn Monroe or um, uh, Mozart, anybody who dies young, is that we'll always remember Marilyn Monroe at age 36 when she was still pretty. Uh, if she were alive today, she'd be 86, and would anybody care? Well, now, I don't know. I think this is a good debate that we can have because, um, yes, undoubtedly, uh, most people are prettier at 36 than 86. But, um, you know, who, I mean, if someone, if, if, if someone is a true actor uh-huh. and they, they're not just doing it for vanity, they're doing it because they love the craft and they love to give to audiences. Um, well, you're talking about the English. Not Americans. Well. Maggie Smith, for instance, 85 and looking 85 and uh, carrying on and Paul Schofield and all of these people. But American actors really don't age well and they don't travel well. 
Well, okay, and I guess the key thing is they don't necessarily have that deeper uh, love of, of acting to want to, I mean, I think it, it takes some courage to still be photographed at 86, for example. Yes. Um, and, and the English have no problem with it, nor do the French, but only Americans do. Yes, yes, I truly guess all is, Truly all is vanity. <laughs> Yes, I guess that's true, and it's really sad, and it is part of what was wrong. I mean, that's a, po- a part of what was wrong with the whole Oscar performance, that, that all of it was vanity, quite frankly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, other than, I mean, the highlights were the, the, the stars who had more substance to them. Indeed. The Bob Hope stuff <laughs> made you very nostalgic for the past. Yes, and Billy Crystal coming on. I mean, <laughs> as you wonder how whether somebody just kind of pushed him onto the stage because he sort of just can't, kind of came out of nowhere, literally. Um, but you know, you really could tell the difference between the people who had substance and who made speech, either you know whether they were presenting something and, and ad libbed or had something good to say, or whether they were accepting an award. The spotlight really did uh, make such a sharp dis- difference between people who had class, people who had talent, people who had substance, compared to people who were just thrown up there superficially to either try to appeal to a younger demographic or because they were the star of the moment, like Jennifer Hudson. Did you, were you, I don't remember which part that was in, but did you see that with her dress almost falling off? Yes, I did. And the big news, of course, was the fact that she'd lost... 300 pounds or something like that. And if that's news, um, uh, I'm in the wrong uh, universe. Well, yes, but, you know, it's nice that she lost lost weight, but that's not really what the Oscars are supposed to be. And besides, was anyone paying attention to whatever she was singing or saying or just looking at her her dress and wondering... (laughs) Whether, how, whether it was going to move over another quarter of an inch and her breasts would be totally exposed. <laughs> another wardrobe malfunction. Yes. <laughs> I mean... <sighs> well, going back to what you just said, which in terms of uh, who said what that resonated, it was the older people. It was yes. David Seidler, who at 73 was the oldest screenwriter ever to receive an Oscar. What he said resonated with me, not only because we're virtually the same age, but because he demonstrated wisdom. Uh, As George Bernard Shaw once said to me, and we used to call him punky, um, youth is wasted on the young. And I think the Oscars can be summed up basically with that phrase. Well, yes. I mean, and and, um, he said that he started off by saying, my father always said I would be a late bloomer, which, of course, was very witty and funny, and and everybody laughed. And and he was also the one who said, um, let's see, was he the one who said, or was it, no, it was somebody else who said, um, who talked about their mother going to see a play. Tom Hooper, that was the director of uh, King's Speech. Yes, he also had, that was also very clever, um, Mm -hmm. saying, you know, his bottom line was you should listen to your mother because it was his mother who actually had brought um, to to his attention this obscure play that he then, um, you know, that then became the King's Speech and that he then wound up directing. Yes, and may I may I remind us all that he was English. Yes, and you know that certainly is a theme. I mean, we have seen that time and time again with the Oscars that the best or the classiest, 
things come from England yes. um, or Australia or yes. someplace out of the United States. Yes, isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And first of all, the English are, are born with the acting gene because if, I love to watch Masterpiece Theater and... Um, when you see all of these English actors who you've never heard of and you'll never hear of them again, you'll never see them, from age 5 to age 90, they are all wonderful and perfect. And, of course, the Australians are cousins. Uh, so um, I think that their cultures are so much older than ours. And I think they, invent, they didn't invent acting because the Greeks invented acting 3,000 years ago with Euripides. But um, I do think that America is such a young society and that we really don't have any authentic American culture. I think that everything that America represents is the best of every other culture. And why and how in 225 years we've become the dominant force on the planet in terms of economy and military is um, the fact that we have taken the best of every other culture and have somehow made it work. It's not supposed to work, but it does. Well, I see that. It's interesting. I kind of see that a little differently that... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed and I was embarrassed. People, uh, watch the Oscars all over the globe and this is the, the time, the moment for America to shine. Yes. And, yeah. and when we do such a lousy job, I mean, it's not just about that, okay, it's boring and you go check your emails. It's about the impression that we're giving to the whole world about what we can come up with. I mean, yes, I agree, you know, in some senses that we, um, have taken the best of some things in, in, you know, in some ways, but then, but then we still look very superficial and shallow compared to productions like The King's Speech. Could it be that we are? <laughs> yes, it could be. It's very, <laughs> yes, and this is very, very, you know, concerning. Especially well, now. You know, um, what, I find, what I found um, particularly oh, I striking was that the audience in the theater didn't seem to be very enthusiastic. No, they didn't. They, it's amazing how they stood up when Billy Crystal came on <laughs> and, and gave him a standing ovation. Everybody was praying that he would stay and, and rescue the show. So well, we need to take a break. Okay. We're talking today about putting Oscar on the couch. That's what we're doing, actually. My guest is Michael Selzman. He is the author of All is Vanity, and he is Mr. Hollywood. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. 
Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacey Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacey's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're putting Oscar Oscar on the couch today with my guest, Michael Selzman. He is the author of All is Vanity, which we are (laughs) essentially talking about today as we analyze uh, Oscar and the uh, and the sorry uh, event. Um, and as I was saying at the beginning, Michael has held just about every job. You see, you should maybe host the Oscar. <laughs> That's a job you haven't had. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't be any worse. I couldn't be any worse. Well, maybe I... <laughs> you promised to be my guest? What did you say? I say, do you promise to be my guest? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> we were talking during the break about how they didn't have many, uh, as many as they usually have, audience shots. Uh, there's, there are usually all these reaction shots in the audience, and um, and we were both talking about how probably this had to do with how bored the audience, the audience looked. People who were actually there were even in pain. Um, and also we were talking about the ABC executives talk about all his vanity. You know, they had to get in there and have their ridiculous cameo roles. Um, I mean, it was like, I think everyone was sort of scratched. It was very quiet when they came on. Everyone was kind of scratching their head, wondering what they were doing there. And forgive me if I, um, uh, if I was the only one who saw this, but wasn't Obama on, on the show? Wasn't who? Wasn't our president Obama? Did I not see him flash um, across the screen? You know, I, you know, I'm just wondering. You're you're reminding me. What was that? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was one of those. Um, what do you call that when you, um, you know, advertising uses that? Uh, um, uh, you know. When you when you have something going on so quick, subliminal advertising. Subliminal advertising. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know what I can't remember what it was he said. I think he was only on for a couple of seconds. But what was he doing on this? Yes, yes, I know. I, <laughs> vote, vote Obama. That's what it was. 
totally forgot, but you're kind of, I'm sort of vaguely remembering something like, what? <laughs> Actually, to be honest, I sort of turn off uh, whenever I see him or hear him. I, I mean, it just gets me I, so upset. Um, so, so yes, he could have been on there, and it could have been... Uh, I could have been turning him off in my brain, but... I wonder um, if you remember in the 60s when uh, Doyle, Dane, and Bernback, which was the leading advertising agency at the time, they did Volkswagen, um, took on subliminal advertising on television, and they were flashing by Coke at one sixty fourth of a second on the screen so that you didn't, you weren't really aware that you were watching it, but it, your brain was taking it in. And when they found out about it, the authorities found out about it, uh, they raised a holy hell about it. And I'm just wondering whether the Oscars did that to us last, the other night. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> well, I need to. I wonder. I haven't seen any articles about it either, but I didn't, you know. Well, didn't, uh, maybe I was the only one who noticed. No, I mean. <laughs> Hallucinating Obama, that that would be sad. Um, I, we have to look that up or ask other people. Yes. Um, what else? There's so much to talk about. Uh, we, we talked, let's see. Well, one, actually, one of the disturbing moments for me, you know, we were, I was saying before about how uh, upsetting it was to think that people all over the world were watching this and think and thinking this is the best that America can do at a time when our image is uh, needing some some um, improving altogether, and then we had Melissa Leo coming up accepting the um, Best Supporting Actress Award and actually saying the F word, um, supposedly inadvertently, probably inadvertently, but she didn't afterwards, did not seem to be apologizing terribly much. <laughs> and having that be the high point of the entire show, what does that say? <laughs> I mean, you know that. I think that's just that just is sort of the the new low. I mean, not only was it boring, but now it just is is the new low of of how the uh, show has gone. Well, it's also um, in indicative indicative um, of the new low in discourse in this country. Yes, yes. Everybody and everybody except my five year old granddaughter uses that word. In yes. general conversation. Yes, yes, and she in in interviews afterwards she blamed um, her upbringing. You know, this is how she spoke when when she was being raised, or people spoke around her when she was being raised. Not that that <laughs> I don't think that makes her seem any better in her eyes. And then she also blamed Kate Winslet, who she claimed uh, talked with in those kinds of words too. I'm sure Kate was thrilled that she was blaming her for it. Well, but, the, Brits um, do, the Brits do use that word um, all the time. I'm sorry, who uses the word? The Brits. The Brits. Yeah. Well, the English. They they do. I mean, you have to just see any English movie. Yes, but uh, but not in not in um, not at events like this. I mean, they certainly they the British people who came up to um, to collect their awards didn't you know spoke very nicely. They didn't say anything like that. Exactly. Um, well, they have much better manners. Yes. Like I yes. said, they're a lot older society than us. 
Yes, but I don't think we can just excuse it on that. No, I don't think so. And um, she says it's part of her vernacular. Well, if you're an actor and you're supposed to learn lines and you're supposed to control it based on what the director says and what the screenwriter has written, then certainly you can control it when you're um, talking to two billion people. Right. Now, on the other hand, we have Natalie Portman, Mm -hmm. thank goodness, who was very classy and American. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, she made a very nice speech thanking her parents and and also talking about her fiancé who gave her the most important role of her life, of course, referring to the fact that she was pregnant. Um, She she made a very lovely speech. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, I couldn't help thinking, wondering whether uh, her, you know, fiance, so her her ultimate marriage or relationship, it was going to go the way of um, other female best actress winners, which seems to be the curse of the female best actress winners. That after they win, um, they get dumped by their men, who can't really, who are afraid unconsciously that they're going to be abandoned by these women who are now so much more uh, elevated or famous or thought so highly of uh, that they actually do something that ends the rela- the men do something that ends the relationship and of course Sandra Bullock uh, being the the most recent and, and uh, sad example of this but I would say that you're also referring to another trend uh, in America's history whereby so many women now have achieved high positions in terms of attorneys or uh, CEOs of companies, and I think that a lot of men are being threatened by women's success generally, and I yes. think that's part of the problem in the, loss, in, in the rise of divorce and, um, uh, and other frictions between uh, the sexes. Yes, absolutely, whether it's uh, best actress or CEO, as you're saying, or, or just some other higher job, especially now you know, with so many people being laid off, and, and um, yes, there's been a tremendous emasculation of american men and um and and so many men acting out because they feel emasculated they have to act out by having affairs you know to try to prove that they're men or on the other hand some of them fall victim um to bad girls which of course I'll take advantage of to give a plug to remind people to get my <laughs> my latest book bad girls why men love them and how good girls can learn their secrets uh-huh. Um, but it's true that because and the reason why that happens is because bad girls um, know how to hone in on the men who most need to whose egos most need to be bolstered, who um, are feeling the most insecure, and who they can if they if they show them that they are the biggest stud on the planet, these men, these emasculated men, will be the most vulnerable and most receptive to that and will let them get away with whatever it is that they're going to get away with, from being a gold digger to a ball buster to, you know, the other uh, ones of my dozen dangerous damsels. So, yes, this is a problem. Yeah, and I wonder why Charlie Sheen has just moved in with two porn stars. I wonder if that has anything to do with what you just said and covered in your book. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've been doing some interviews about Charlie Sheen, and um, it's really sad. I mean, it's it's incredibly sad. I'm I'm especially upset because I love Two and a Half Men, and I don't want to see it go off the air. But um, 
But yes, he, you know, yes, they're certainly bad girls, and he's certainly vulnerable. You're absolutely right. I mean, of course, he's a bad boy, too. He has a whole history of being a bad boy and, and of picking these Barbie doll dolls for wives and for living, whatever they are, um, not caring about his children. He, it's so sad to see him self-destruct. Well, wouldn't you say, Carol, that he really hates women? Because every well, wife, every woman, he, he beat up Denise Richards. His last wife, he held a knife to her throat uh, on Christmas Day. Uh, he has mistreated women all his life. Now, that's not a man who likes women. Well, yes, he, he does have problems with women, and he obviously had a problem with his mother. But, um, but you know, I think what happens, too, though, is that he picks these women very impulsively. I mean, they're all they're all they all look like Barbie. You know, they're all interchangeable. I don't know how he knows who he's with when the lights are off, or even when they're or even when they're on. I mean, you know, it's the same blonde hair and and similar kind of build uh, and and face. Um, but I think what happens is that he picks them because of this wanting to. You know, wanting to have a trophy wife, and um, even especially now, the older he gets, the more he wants to show that that he can have these same types of women. And then when he actually marries them or is in a relationship with them and realizes, you know, who they are and and that they're not perfect or this isn't the ideal kind of relationship that he had hoped it would be, he just gets frustrated with them. I mean, I'm not excusing anything that he may have done, but I'm just saying that when it becomes real, he just gets incredibly frustrated with with their, you know, with their demands, their insatiable demands, and so on. Well, would he be just the latest and most uh, um, visible example of how men select women anyway? Well, yes. I mean, of course, uh, there's the... Uh, I mean, that's one of the types in my book, The Sex Siren, um, where really men are picking these women to try to show other men that they have a bigger penis than they do, that they're able to get a woman like this, and that's all it's about. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and of course they pick women with the biggest breasts to try to, you know, show that they, I mean, it's like ridiculous. Well, what's and, the first, Carol, what's the first thing a man ever sees Upon uh, exiting his mom's womb. <laughs> well, yes, her big breasts, nipple. Absolutely. <laughs> or wh- whatever size they are to a little baby, they appear big. <laughs> well, you remember the scene in uh, Woody Allen's film, Everything You Always Want to Know About Sex, where he was being chased by a giant breast rolling down a hill that was going to roll over him? Oh, I think so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. And, and of course, what's sad is that um, the more opportunities he has, and he has, you know, countless opportunities to be interviewed in the media, and and of course he, with each one, he sinks himself deeper and deeper, and I think what's happened is it's kind of a, I mean, somebody should bring him, somebody should, oh, do I hear music? (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Unlike Obama's face, which might have been there or might not, the music really is there. Okay, we do need to take another break. My guest is Michael Silsman. He is the author of All is Vanity, an autobiography that takes you through Hollywood uh, and and all of its uh, interesting quirks uh, and, because it's an autobiography and so he's able to talk about it from, a, from the first person. We're talking today about putting Oscar on the couch. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. Comes down to ladies is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darlings, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, putting Oscar on the couch today with my guest, Mr. Hollywood, Michael Selzman. He has done, done it all in Hollywood. He's taking us behind the curtain backstage. His book is called All is Vanity. It's an autobiography. Um, not that he is all, all about vanity, but he uh, certainly has worked with people, everybody, everybody who's everybody, from Marilyn Monroe on down, um, and has had all kinds of positions in Hollywood, so he knows what he's talking about. We're talking about the Oscars. We were actually talking about Michael Sheen, Michael Sheen, Charlie Sheen, who who did, um, who <laughs> That was the, the, uh, he got into the, uh, act in the Oscars. Actually, people were afraid he was gonna literally come to the Oscars to try to get into the act, but instead, um, James Franco, the disastrous co-presenter, dressed up as Marilyn, and, uh, he did, that was his one 
funny line the whole night. He and we don't know if he invented it or it was written for him, but um, he said he, that uh, he was he just got a text from Charlie Sheen, and that was funny. You know, like Charlie Sheen is is after. <laughs> In fact, Marilyn Monroe is who I is the epitome of the sex siren, and so of course it makes sense that. Uh, that he would have texted him. <laughs> but we were talking, I just want to say one other thing about Charlie Sheen before we get back to the Oscars, that as a psychiatrist, um, you know, first of all, somebody needs to put a net over him. I know that probably doesn't sound very psychiatrist-like, but um, but I mean it. I mean it with all great affection, that somebody should put a net over him and bring him to the nearest psychiatric emergency room because he needs to be hospitalized um, before he does more self-destruction to his career, if not himself. I mean, he says he's not using any more substances, alcohol or drugs, but I don't know that we know that for sure. Um, and in any case, there's certainly the temptation is always there as he's spiraling downwards. Um, so he really needs to be hospitalized. He needs to be to to have it uh, definite that he's not having access to any drugs or alcohol, and then his mental status needs to be assessed. I mean, certainly one thing that you would I would consider as a psychiatrist is whether um, all this use of this addiction to um, substances and sex, the the increase in it over recent months has triggered an underlying mental illness such as manic depressive illness. Or another possibility is that he hasn't really stopped using and that this is his manic behavior is, is an effect of, of the drugs, perhaps coupled with the alcohol. Or we'd even have to consider some kind of physical problem. Could there be, you know, some kind of, um, uh, some kind of metabolic problem some, or some kind of neurological problem? I mean, there is something that has caused him to become suddenly um, even more out of control than than he has ever been. I mean, yes, he's been sort of having this slide downward, but he's had this precipitous um, precipitous turn into really someone who is totally out of control. And and it, it, somebody needs to take control of him, whether it's his father or his uh, well, his publicist quit, but maybe his lawyer, somebody to bring who cares about him and who's close to him, an ex-wife or a an intervention needs to be done for people to bring him to a psych hospital. Michael, yes, Carol, I'm listening. I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> right about absolutely right about. But if you were his publicist, what would you do right now? I would have quit a long time ago because once the publicist loses control of his subject. Then if he stays with him, then it's obvious he's doing it for the money, and then his other clients lose respect for him. However, his lawyer is staying with him and suing Warner Brothers, which, um, in my opinion, um, places publicists ahead of lawyers on a social scale, and, uh, and I never thought I'd live to see that happen. You mean lawyers in front of, or what do you mean? You I mean, mean lawyers in front of publicists or, or public, publicists? Publicists in front of lawyers. Because because they had the classy, they were classy enough to get out of it. Yeah, at least he had <laughs> some courage to, uh, uh, to to walk away from probably ten thousand dollars a month. Yes. Uh, but it, on the other hand, it saved his business. You mentioned uh, Sheen's career. I think Sheen's career is over. Uh, I don't think he'll ever do another television show. I don't think anybody would hire him because he's made some anti-Semitic remarks too, and that's generally the end of your career, uh, unless it is for Mel Gibson. 
um, as it was for Eddie Bracken in 1946. Uh, but I, I'm sure most of our listeners don't remember that. But uh, he was a big, big star after World War II. He made some anti-Semitic remarks. You never heard or saw him again. Uh, Charlie Sheen did a bunch of movies when none of this was evident, and he was at the height of his popularity, and they were all flops at the box office. So I don't really? think, uh, yeah, I don't think, yeah. I, I don't. I don't really remember what he's been in. Well, he was in a, an ensemble role in uh, Platoon, which is yeah. when he was first noticed. He was the star of a film called The Chase about three years ago, uh, which was a flop. And uh, so he he doesn't have a movie career. He doesn't have a television career. I don't think anymore. And I don't think he sings or dances. So I think <laughs> it's pretty much over for him. Well. You know, of course, uh, another thing that complicates matters is that part of the success of Two and a Half Men, uh, well, first of all, the writing is really fabulous, but part of the success is that he's playing a character who is pretty much himself. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, and that's also part of what makes it hard for him psychologically because here people are laughing about the same things. I mean, when he does it in the show, it's funny, and of course he doesn't do it to the extreme that he does it in real life, but but it's sort of confusing for him um, for why people are thinking it's funny and cool uh, on the show, and yet when he does this kind of thing in real life, it gets him into trouble. Yeah, well, you mentioned some neurological problems. He could have a brain tumor that uh, is undiagnosed. Yes. Or, or a manic depressive, obviously. Uh, that's, that's clearly what this and he's off his meds, if he ever was on his meds. So, yeah, he's uh, self-destructing. He must have um, just really awful feelings about himself. He must just think he's worthless. Well, yeah, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, the the women that he's chosen and and the failures that he's had in these relationships um, that I think have left him feeling emptier and emptier uh, as the years have gone by. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's true. So let's go back to um let's go back to the Oscars. Yes. Um let's see. What did you think? Oh, well, actually you didn't see this part because it was the last part. Um it was kind of I did, I did sweet. catch up. I did catch up with it. Oh, did you see the yeah. the PS22 from Staten Island? Uh yeah, yeah, I did. It was very sweet, but like sweet. it was like they switched um it was like you wonder whether the station switched. <laughs> what was that about? I'm sure I have no idea. The show is such a mishmash. Uh, I thought that the audience seemed baffled by what they were watching. I don't think that they could follow what was happening on the screen any better than I could follow uh, anything that was happening uh, on my television. I think the opening segment where um, the actors were placed uh, inside some of the um, nominated films was so badly done that I couldn't follow it. I didn't know what was happening. Yes, I mean, it was a clever idea, but the execution really left a lot to be desired. Well, Woody Allen did it in Zelig about 25 years ago, and he did it very successfully, and then Robert Zemeckis stole it and put it into Forrest Gump and never gave Woody Allen credit for it, so... Uh, I feel less sanguine about uh, Zemeckis than I ever did before. Yes, I don't know. It was just, and 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 what about the fact that it ended? It seemed to end about twenty minutes, almost twenty minutes early. Yeah, I think they ran out of tape. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, here they rushed everybody, and of course, you know that always happens. But it seemed even worse last night. You know, mm-hmm. I guess it was because. 
Kirk Douglas's part seemed to go a little long. He just kept talking, and nobody had the guts to, you know, take him off. I mean, and besides, he was one of the highlights. Um, but he was kind of going on and on. Well, you and, know, Melissa Leo went on and on and on. Yes. Too, and I didn't hear the music come up for her either. Yes. So I, I think somebody, whoever was the director, was asleep at the switch there. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, you know, when they make it so short that people have so little time to say anything and it's just a recitation of names, um, it's like meaningless. It's boring and it's meaningless. I mean, yes, if you're one of the names that are that's being called, of course, you'd like to hear your name. But, um, but it doesn't give the people a chance, the winners, a chance to, to make something creative up that, that it will be entertaining and meaningful. That's true. And then you saw that woman who won one of the shorts who uh, just read from a piece of paper. Yes. And oh, God, that was so embarrassing. Uh, and then turned the paper over and read the rest. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I kept waiting for her to, like, make a joke out of it or something. I couldn't believe she would actually turn it over and read the rest of it. It was unbelievable. Well, at, at least she wasn't reading it from the palm of her hand like some uh, Republican uh, who may run for president. Once did. <laughs> um, wait, I forget who that was. Who was Sarah that? Sarah Palin. Remember, she was caught reading from the palm of her hand. Who was that? Sarah Palin. I no, I don't. I didn't remember that. Yeah, she. Yeah, she was spotted on camera reading from the palm of her hand before an interview. She had written some notes, and she didn't want to carry a piece of paper, so. Um, yeah, I'm surprised you don't remember that. Well, wait. You'll, well, you'll have to tell me during the break, and I think I'm not. Um, I'm not um, putting it in the right context. Um, but anyway, we'll come back. We're talking about Oscar on the couch. My guest is Michael Selzman. He's the author of the autobiography All Is Vanity. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I. When I come back, I'll remember what we're talking about, who this person was, or what that incident was. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. 
host, Simran Singh, will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, putting Oscar on the couch with my guest, Michael Selzman. And I wasn't really sure what Michael was saying, and I didn't want to keep saying, what, what, excuse me? Um, but Sarah Palin, of course, yes, I remember the uh, incident with her reading uh, her notes on her hand. Um, absolutely. Um, course that that isn't now of course there there have been many more gaps that she's made since then um but let's get back to the oscars um you know one thing i do want to say is on a positive note uh as far as the best picture and of course talk about all is vanity you know this year as we were talking about off off the air um this year now all of a sudden there are 10 pictures being nominated for best picture where there used to be five uh, this way, more people can sort of advertise, right? Nominated for an Academy Award. I mean, I guess it's not just vanity, but money, right? Yeah, well, it's always about money. <laughs> <laughs> it's always about money. Yes. So, on a positive note, I mean, I guess the, the fact that the King's Speech won uh, shows that at least people haven't totally gone um, crazy. Uh, that that's the movie that I think absolutely deserved to win. Yeah, the social that, network was good, but it wasn't really network. at that level. And the Black Swan was really good. Each of those, um, the Black Swan and and uh, the social network won awards too, which they seemed to deserve. I mean, I think the voting uh, seemed to be pretty good, at least except for Jeffrey Rush. That bothered me so much that me he too. didn't win Best Supporting Actor. Absolutely. He should have won Best Supporting Actor. Absolutely. He was fantastic in that movie. And don't forget, it's a British movie, and the Brits do drama so much better than we do. We, uh, they actually do comedy, in my opinion, better than, uh, than we do as well. But as I say, they're a much older um, culture, and they've had 500 years of, of professional acting, and we've had uh, a lot less than that. But the glamour has gone out of Hollywood. I've been watching Oscar shows for over 50 years, and this is, this is without doubt, hands down, the worst ever. And uh, I think that um, the glamour was part of what made the Oscars special, because movie stars in years back, uh, 20, 30 years back, had a certain regal quality to them. You wouldn't walk up to them on the street and say, hi, 
uh, to Robert Redford or, um, or or Jimmy Stewart or, uh, but television actors uh, don't have that kind of protection because you see them in your living room with the lights on and you're getting up and uh, doing things during commercials and so you've invited them into your home. But when you're sitting in a movie theater in the dark, surrounded by strangers. Uh, and you're watching these mythical characters 20 feet high in front of you, and you're entering the screen with them, as as Woody Allen did in The Purple Rose of Cairo, and had the actors leave the movie screen and come out into the audience. That kind of suspension of disbelief creates a certain uh, respect and distance and glamour to people. In the old days, you never saw uh, Joan Crawford in a movie go into a bathroom and close a door. Today, um, I hesitate to even say on the air what you can see in, in, in movies with these, with these young people. And so um, I think the reason that the Academy Award show was so bad is that there's just no respect for the current crop of, uh, of people who control the business. Yes. Do you think that that also, I mean, it, of course, some, some has to do with, um, of course, all the tabloid coverage, uh, showing all these stars without their makeup and in all kinds of embarrassing, you know, you get to know their, the intimate details of their relationships and their whole life. Um, and maybe, you know, you were saying about the screens being so big, maybe also the fact that so many people are not going to the movies, but are watching the movies on smaller screens in their home. It absolutely is the case, and you're going to see more of that as screens get larger and cheaper. And so um, there's no reason to go to a movie theater anymore because, in my opinion, it's, um, it's too much of a hassle. It's too expensive. Uh, you've got to um, uh, arrange, if you have children, uh, babysitting. Uh, it's usually a dinner involved or lunch involved. And in the theater, uh, $5 for a small bag of popcorn is uh, really pushing the limits a little bit. And so I think it's a lot easier just to stay home and, uh, and watch the movies on your big screen. Yeah, of course, it's not an event, and it's not as, you know, not as exciting. Well, when I was a kid growing up, um, going to the movies was not an event because uh, it cost me 25 cents, and I would spend the entire afternoon at a movie theater seeing a double feature, cartoons, mm-hmm. and the news. So it wasn't an event. It was People went to the movies in those days twice a week because that's how often they change the films. When I started at 20th Century Fox, Fox made 60 movies a year, and so did every other studio. Today, if Fox makes six, that's a lot. Hmm. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's interesting. And so, of course, they're making up uh, for for the decreasing numbers with by increasing the prices of the tickets. Well, yeah, and charging uh, advanced prices for 3D. Well, it worked with Avatar, and it worked with Toy Story. But for most of these films that have been presented in 3D, they've been shot in 2D and converted to 3D, which is cheating the audience. And uh, the reaction has been rather swift because less people went to the movies this year than uh, in any other year, and it's only going to continue to go down. Yes, well, I, I, that will be a shame if it turns out to be something of the past. I still think it's kind of fun to... Uh, oh, it, it'll always, there will always be places to go for movies, but generally speaking, older people don't go to the movies. It's generally, movies are being made for 12 to 15-year-old boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just read an article that said that in 2011, all the studios uh, are going to be making nothing but comic strip movies. <laughs> I, know they're making, I know they're making Batman 5, and I know uh. they're making Superman 6. 
and they're making Shrek 5. Mm. So that's it. That's for the movie business. So uh, mm. on, on an adult drama that's entertaining and well-acted, like the uh, King's Speech comes, comes along, everybody's just so shocked that they have to vote for it. Yes, yes. Well, you know, as I was saying, I, I actually only saw Black Swan, The King's Speech, and The Social Network, and they were, they were um, very good. I mean, The King's Speech was the best, but the, the other two were very good as well. Well, didn't, um, we, see, didn't we see The Black Swan uh, 20, like 25 years ago uh, in The Turning Point with Shirley MacLaine and Anne Bancroft? Wasn't that the same movie? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What I liked about the social network was, besides the fact that it was very well written, very well acted, and very well directed, uh, it signifies a major a shift in the, in, in the world society because look at all the turmoil that's going on in the Middle East. It's based on Facebook. And yes, they all yes, it. yes. Um, yes. Oh, and, and I talk about shift. I hear the music. We need to make a shift of our own. The, the hour is over already. I'd like to thank my guest, Michael Selzman. I'd like to direct you all to uh, Amazon to get his book, his autobiography, All is Vanity, because this is just the tip of the iceberg of his knowledge um, of decades of, of Hollywood and of all the stars, the, the real movie stars in Hollywood, glamorous movie stars. So, again, it's All is Vanity, and it's Michael Selzman. Michael, thank you so, so much. For joining me on Dr. Carol's Couch, thank you all for listening. You've been listening thank to you, Dr. Sarah. Carol's Couch, where we talked about Oscar on the Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.